Hello, my name is Edgar King and I am the lead pastor of Trinity Vineyard Church in Akuru. I am so grateful that you are um, tuning into our podcast today. Head over to our Facebook page and see some of the information that you may need if you're in Akuru and you'd like to join us. Nonetheless, we will still be on live for those who are unable to join us in person. Thank you very much. I hope this uh, installation of talks today will be a blessing to you. Winding up a series we've been doing, uh, I've been inviting us to this reality that we all know, that human beings are narrative creatures. We love a good story. When we hear a good story, we see ourselves in it. But not only do we love a good story, we are living out a certain narrative. The stories you've believed about yourself, the stories you've believed about people, about God, that's, that, that's a place from which you're living out your life. And it's the thread that just is woven throughout your life. The reason you do uh, the things you do is because you've believed certain stories about God, about money, about family, about uh, everything. So your scripts, your narratives really matter. But, and part of, the, part of the thing I've been inviting us to is, is this realization that, that scripture is also telling a very particular narrative, a very particular story. And so that we don't get confused. We are either leaning into the story or we're not. You know, so we don't get confused. We need to know what that story is. And I think, you know, I've said from the beginning to the very end of Scripture, it's just one big story. As many as those books are, 66, you know, as many as those books are, it's just one big story, the big story of the kingdom of God. And I, I need us to know that I'm not talking about a geographical boundary. I'm talking about the dynamic rule and reign of God. Where God's will is fully done. You remember the prayer Jesus taught? Uh, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I kept saying a, a few weeks back that earth is a place where God's will isn't always done. This is the journey. We, we, we're leading up to a place where God's will will be fully done. So in the... Um, where there's the dynamic rule and reign of God, where God's will is fully done on earth, the kingdom of God has come. And you see it in, in, in things like when the orphan gets a home, when people get healed. Sometimes it's, it's just through prayer and it's instant or gradual. Sometimes it's through medication. When people, because sickness is a foretaste of death, and, and we can experience the, the, the life of the age to come. And sometimes that's reversed. That's the, that's the kingdom of God come. Um, when, when systems of injustice are broken down, that's the kingdom of God come. And Jesus, the king of the kingdom, has been making this invitation come really to everyone and anyone. Regardless of your, of your socioeconomic status, regardless of your creed, regard, everyone is indeed invited. And, and I, I remember when we talked specifically about that invitation, I needed us to be aware that that might offend us. Jesus was so inviting that, to be honest, it offends some of us, the kind of people Jesus has invited in. Because we go, nah, do they really belong here? You know? Uh, so, so, and, and one of the ways we, the only way we can hear the invitation of the kingdom of God is when we discover the hunger for the kingdom. It's when we discover our thirst for the kingdom. What does that look like? 
When you finally realize that God is better at life than you, when you finally come to an end and you go, you know what, God is better at marriage, God is better at doing all of life, God is better at raising kids, God is better just being someone's son or daughter, God is better at life than you. Then you've discovered your hunger and your thirst for the kingdom of God. And finally you'll be able to hear that invitation, come, come to me all who hunger and thirst. And, and you know, sometimes... Uh, well, not sometimes, always. The world thinks it, it, it's better at life. It, you know, the, the way the rest of the world is running, it, the, the crave for independence is really the story of, uh, from creation. The fall of man, uh, the fall of creation, was a desire to run away from God and pretend that we are better at life than God. And it's still continuing, so much so that the way of the kingdom seems foolish. The things you will do, the things you will speak, the, the things you will not do and, and keep away from. To the world it will seem foolish, it will it'll be ridiculous, it will be like running away from freedom. It's like, what the heck is wrong with you? You know why? The things of, of the kingdom will seem foolish uh, to the rest of the world. Yet we keep encountering the kingdom of God as we keep making small steps of obedience in the same direction. These small steps of obedience will look foolish even to your own family. These small steps of obedience will look foolish to the rest of the world. Praying for the sick in a world that just doesn't believe that, 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 that the divine actually gets involved in these kind of things. Choosing the unborn, choosing the, to love the immigrant and the stranger, choosing the cross daily over satisfying our every self-centered desire, the world will think you're mad. It just, why would you do that? And Jesus didn't just teach the kingdom of God, he taught the kingdom and demonstrated the kingdom. What does the kingdom of God look like? You know, is when every broken part of the world, every broken thing in us is reversed and we experience the life that is coming here and now. So the sick get healed. Uh, when when, the, when the, the kingdom comes, the sick get healed. And so Jesus would go around healing the sick. When the kingdom comes, justice rolls down like a river. And so Jesus spoke to the poor and restored people who had been excommunicated because of unjust systems and, uh, and cultural practices. When the kingdom comes, the lame walk. And so Jesus gave, you know, uh, made uh, the lame walk and, and made the dumb speak. Uh, when the kingdom comes, there is life eternal and death loses its sting. And so when Jesus moved around, he, he what, what we call, resuscitated the dead as a precursor to uh, uh, the promise of resurrection. When the kingdom comes, sin is defeated and it loses its power. And so Jesus walked around forgiving sinners. He'd say, your sins are forgiven. And it made some people mad, like, who are you to forgive sins? And he would go, well, he wouldn't say, but, you know, he was making the whole point. Uh-huh. I just did. Now, the way that Jesus made this invitation is through telling of small stories, or short stories called parables. So he's telling this big story of the kingdom of God using short stories called parables. Because he knew that human beings, we love a good story. So people would be sitting around him and they would be intrigued or completely uh, just mad because 
we all see ourselves in stories when we hear them. Now, he didn't tell these parables so that we easily understand them. Quite the contrary. Especially when he was in crowds, he almost always taught in parables. Why? It is an invitation to lean in. It's an invitation to journey through the, uh, this, the, uh, uh, the truth that he reveals. So today, we've been looking at a, a parable each week, and today we'll look at, um, at one where uh, there was an unshrunk cloth and uh, wineskins. So Lord, I ask that you just keep doing what you've been doing since morning. Hmm. Come and have your way and do what only you can do. Matthew 9, 16 to 17, yet another parable Jesus tells of the kingdom of God. Um, sorry, we don't have it on the screens, uh, so I'll just read it. Well, I always read it out loud. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear even worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, because you could, the skins will burst. The wine will run out of the, uh, uh, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. These two uh, illustrations that Jesus is giving, these, this parable that has pretty much two stories, uh, these are, are to, today they're about um, our response to the kingdom of God. You know, we've been hearing this, this beautiful, beautiful invitation that Jesus keeps making. And today he's saying, hey, there is an RSVP to be made. Or return to Sunday if you want. There has to be a response on our part. Hey, throughout we've been hearing that God has done the heavy lifting. God has done the heavy lifting. The Father has made the first move. He's always the first mover. We, we don't... We don't make the kingdom of God. God. God is king, and wherever he is, the kingdom is here, and he's always the first mover. He's moved towards us. He's done the heavy lifting. And now Jesus is saying, and so there has to be a response uh, to this. To this. And, and responding to the invitation of God, Jesus is saying that it will take shedding away of our previous containers of, of life. That the kingdom of God, the life, the vision of life in the kingdom of God cannot be contained in the same containers we had for life before. That there's a response that is, it, it requires of us and it definitely means shedding off of, of the, the previous containers of life we had. So first he talks about a piece of cloth, one, the old one that's torn is, or the torn one is old and you put a new uh, patch with a new cloth you wash it, it's got to shrink. But the other one has, 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 you know, stretched all it could. So it's going to tear. The other one, he's talking about uh, wineskins, which... I don't know if the masa, uh, the masa is still use them or what. Like, I, I don't know where you could get a wineskin. But anyway, you know, you put new wine. If, if it, it expands. Wine will expand as it ferments. But if you put it in an old wineskin that has already stretched all it could... You put new wine using up all the space that you had, what will happen is that it will just tear. So the context of these two stories 
is that the disciples of John, there was a, the, the cousin of Jesus, or relative of Jesus, was called John. He was going baptizing people. He was heralding the, uh, the coming of the kingdom. He'd say, repent, for the kingdom of God has come. And he had disciples. So the disciples of John had seen the disciples of Jesus, and they weren't fasting. And so they were quite mad about it. So they asked Jesus about it, and he said, why should they, fa- uh, why should they fast when the bridegroom is with them? The bridegroom was one of Jesus' uh, uh, titles for himself. He's saying, hey, I am Lord. I am the bridegroom. I am the reason the party is happening. So why should the, the groomsmen fast? That would not be a good idea. Uh, there's a video that did rounds online for a while of a, of a best man who just passed out uh, during a wedding. And uh, it's sad he lost some teeth, but it was hilarious. Maybe he had fasted and the bridegroom had hung out with him. So Jesus is saying, why should they, why should they fast? And, and Jesus' response, um, you, you know, some people have taken it to mean that then um, in the New Testament, fasting is not such an important thing in this new dispensation. fast. But that's not the idea because Jesus himself fasted and Jesus taught about fasting. The problem here was their way of doing life. The old way of that community could no longer contain the the kingdom of God and the life it was offering. Jesus is not against fasting. The problem was just how they they would fast as an end to itself. Instead of fasting as a means to an end. Because fasting is really about spending time with the Father. It's not an end to itself. So, so he, was, he was really moving against the idea that we could do things to earn the kingdom of God. Because that was the idea these people had. That they had to do certain things to earn the kingdom of God. And it's not just that. You know, the Jewish traditions, they had certain traditions that they regarded intricate to the story of the kingdom of God. And Jesus was saying, hey, those old ways cannot contain what has come. You know? For example, they, they would believe, they, they were so convinced that, that, that worship could, true worship could only happen in the temple at Jerusalem. This only changed in AD 60 when the temple was destroyed, yet even today they look forward to the uh, rebuilding of, of the temple because there's this, there's this conviction that true worship can only happen in the temple. There was exclusivity. Non-Jews were not regarded welcome to the party. And even if you were a convert to Judaism, uh, you couldn't quite get into the same spaces as, as uh, Jews could. You know, they, they held on to the idea that they could earn God's kingdom by good deeds. In fact, there was a sect uh, uh, of people called the Pharisees that were, were so... They believed that the Messiah hadn't come because not all Jews were keeping the laws they should. They were convinced that you bring God's kingdom come by doing good deeds. And so here Jesus is saying, you're saying your old ways cannot contain the life of the kingdom. Your old ways cannot contain the life of the kingdom. This is what God is inviting them to. Yes. You know, and, and, and the reason it's always an invitation is, is that God doesn't force. Like, like a God who, you know, because God is love, 
He has so much faith and trust. He, 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 he would rather woo than force. He is so, for him, it's, it's moving from a place of trust. So he makes the invitation and waits for the response. He makes the invitation and waits for the response. You know? It's one who trusts. It's one who woos. It's, it, he's one who gives freedom to choose. And so he's made the invitation saying, Hey, the kingdom has come. But your old ways cannot contain the life you're being invited to. The kingdom is here. The invitation is the same to us too. But the, 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 the response is also the same. Your old ways cannot contain what God has invited you to. And the thing is, it's one thing to hear the invitation of the kingdom. That was a big deal uh, maybe four weeks ago when we started the series. Like, can you hear God's invitation to you? It's one thing to hear God's invitation of the kingdom. It's another thing to change the wineskin. You could hear God's invitation, but to sit, to, to actually uh, uh, carry the life of the kingdom, it takes uh, 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 throwing away of an old way of life that just cannot contain the life of the kingdom. Their old wineskin was, um, was religion, right? For, uh, if you think about it, the, the, the disciples of John, just because of the relationship between Jesus and John and, and the testimony that John bore of Jesus, they actually most probably believed that this was the Messiah. They did. So they could hear the invitation. They could hear the invitation. But for some reason, they were still stuck to an old idea that they had to earn God's love. So it's possible to hear God's invitation. But to take hold of the kingdom of God, to take hold of the promise, to take hold of the life, we have to change uh, the old wineskin that is not compatible with, with uh, the kingdom of God. And, and this is different. For them, it was the religion, right? It was the idea that we got to earn God's love. This was a very religious culture. We need to know that. You know, there were the Pharisees and the Essenes who, who, who were very strict in how they lived their life. There were schools of prophets. We don't have those anymore, but you had them in those times. They, they would frequently go to the mountains and the deserts. Uh, there were Nazarites, and they would keep their hair long. These were people who were religious and, and, and very strict about looking for the kingdom of God. There were private academies to train mostly men in the strict discipline. So, so for them, the skin was very different. It was this religious skin. So for them, they needed to hear that fasting isn't, you know, fasting as an end to itself isn't what brings the kingdom. You need to, you need to move away from that. That all their religious practices isn't what brings the kingdom. You see, if we said to people in our culture, even in this church, that fasting, fasting isn't what brings the kingdom, we'll be very happy to hear that because most of us haven't fasted in a long time. Right? So it's, it's no big deal. It's like, yeah, Jesus said, why fast? You know, the longest some of us have stayed hungry, you know, is the, the three and a half hour drive from Nairobi to Nakuru because they never need to stop. But we need to realize that we have our own wineskins. We as a culture and, and as a people, we have our own wineskins. You know, it's, it's a time where it's different even for the post-Christian world. 
mostly in the West, and, and the majority world that never really was a Christian world. You know, here's what I mean. Post-Christian, uh, so many nations in the West were deeply impacted by the teachings of Jesus. You know, you, you can see it in how they organize their society, you can see it in their way of life, you can see it in their laws and their ethics, etc. They were, they were deeply impacted by the, the Judeo-Christian uh, uh, way of life. But, but uh, they're now in a moment where they're, they're, they're moving away from that, and, and, and it's just like, uh, you know, there's skepticism, there's, there's just there's clamor to keep God away from our lives. This, they've become a post-Christian world. You know, now these cultures, you know, as, they, as they're trying to run away from God, they're trying to keep the good things they, they, they got from the, the, the gospel of Jesus being preached. They want, the, they want the fruit of the kingdom without the king, you know, and it's not going to work. They want justice and equity, but not the king who's just and true. They want respect for every human being, uh, regardless of creed, race, and all that stuff. Uh, but they want to reject the one whose teachings uh, uh, brought to the forefront the, the, just the value of humanity before the eyes of God. These, they've become more skeptical cultures that, that, that don't really believe in the existence of a spiritual world. And so invitations to pray for the sick just look foolish. Uh, you know, they, they no longer excite them. They want Jesus the good teacher. They don't want Jesus the miracle worker. You know, they, these are the old wineskins. So for them, the invitation to, to ditch the old wineskins is very different from that of, uh, to the Jews. Those wineskins cannot contain the kingdom of God. These cultures want freedom. It's one of their highest ideals. And, and you know, wars have been fought for that. One of the biggest conversations in the media right now is uh, things that happen in Afghanistan. And, and the reason all this started, you know, there was, a, there was this idea about freedom. We got to free these people. Wars have been fought for, for freedom as the highest ideal, but they want to, re, uh, they, they want to reject the te Jesus' teachings on freedom. They want to reject the one who actually sets people free, because who the Son sets free is free indeed. You know? They, so they want freedom, but they want to reject God as Lord over their lives as Lord over their bodies, as Lord over their minds, as Lord over their families. They want the good teacher. They want Jesus a good teacher. Oh, he said a lot of good things. He was revolutionary. But they don't want Jesus the master and savior. They don't want Jesus as Lord. Our cultures, on the other hand, uh, in the majority world, had never really been marked by, by great Christianization. Yet because of globalization, we have some of all that and some stuff uh, from, from uh, the time before um, uh, the, the, any Christian work in our continents and majority of the world, you know. Uh, uh, so we have a mix of all that. So even in church, you still have people in church on Sunday and, and on Monday they're at witch doctors. Maybe it's just the politicians now, but, you know. Um, oh, my word. No wonder no politicians ever want to come to Trinity. <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, you know, in our recent years, 
you, you, you have people crying in church during worship. Oh my word, the presence of God is here. And then immediately they switch into deep tribalism uh, in our politics on Monday. You know? As, so in the West, the biggest form of expression of freedom is, is anything goes, especially around sexuality. There's total rejection of any kind of authority, even God's around sexuality, right? So they, they still, yet there's still a great sense that, that, that uh, marital infidelity is a bad thing. Leaders and politicians have been fired for that. Yet as a culture, they're like, ah, anything goes. And I hear the French are worse. I hope no, no one's watching from France. I don't. Um, so here's the thing. You can see that they still an echo from, from when they were mostly Christian nations. That's why you, they, they, want, they, want, they want the fruits of the kingdom where, where there's faithfulness in marriage, but they don't want the authority of the kingdom. But our culture is, is, is a bit different and it's... Yet, you know, uh, for example, the, there's, there's a certain casualness uh, around sex, right from the universities to, to you know, uh, and I hear Kenya is even worse. Uh, Zambians and, and uh, well, no, just one Zambian that I talked to. I haven't talked to all of them. And, and Tanzanians are very shocked, uh, you know, when they hear about Kenya's culture, Kenya's casual, uh, casualness around sex. And so, you know, it's, it's an old wineskin. And that's why in our culture, Mpango Akhandu is like, meh, right? It's like, of course it happens. No one even, people don't even question that. Even people in, in the marriages themselves, this like, yeah, he does that, it's okay, he, but he, uh, he provides for us. You see this, this old, you know, this carryover from the days of polygamy and stuff like that. And so uh, for both cultures, our invitation is the same. Behold, the kingdom of God has come. And the response has to be the same. The old wineskins cannot contain the life of the kingdom of God. The, the, the ways of life that used to work, or we thought they worked, if we are agreeing that Jesus is better th at life than us, He's saying, you know what, that old wineskin, that old way of life will not contain what I'm inviting you to. Isn't it refreshing that Jesus never minces his words? For someone making such an invitation, we would like some, someone to go, yeah, you know, we can keep some of this. Yeah, I can see where it works. And he goes, no, that will not contain the life I'm inviting you to. Just the, kind of, just the kind of truth that the world needs to hear. Hmm? Yet this has always been the story. So you start with, say, Moses, uh, one of the greatest, uh, most respected prophets of Judaism. And, you know, uh, Moses had been running away from Egypt. He, had, he, he was wanted for murder by the king who felt that it was okay for him and no one else to kill people. Anyway, so Moses ran away and he had started a new life. He was a father, he was a shepherd, he had found a new place and then he meets the kingdom of God. He experiences God and guess what? He has to, he has to, to lose all that. He has to lose a way of life that had been working for him and take on something new. 
One of the stories we covered in this series is one where there was a merchant who was looking for pearls to sell. Who was looking for the most precious pearls to sell, and he finds the most precious pearl. What does, what does this merchant do? Sells everything else he, uh, he had to become just a merchant owner. Because that way of life could not contain this new invitation. Paul is another guy we, we meet in the story of scripture. He, was, he, he, he called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was respected. He was given orders by the Sanhedrin to go hunt down believers, uh, arrest them, and even oversee the murders of at least one that we know for sure. And he was very happy to do this because this way of life made sense to him. Then he encounters the kingdom of God and everything changes. He loses that position. He's no longer wanted as a Pharisee. He couldn't go back. Even worse, he wasn't readily accepted by those believers of Jesus because he had been hunting them down. He's, that way of life could not work for him anymore. You see, when we paint the gift, the, 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 the gift of Jesus as a free gift, it's a bit misleading. It's cheap grace. When we paint the gift of Jesus as free, it's, it is free because we're saved by grace, because God has made the first move. Yet it has a cost. The other story is cheap grace. Discipleship, following Jesus, will cost you. That's why Jesus didn't mince his words when he said, take up your cross and follow me. That old way of life that you're so used to, it's second nature to you, will not contain the life Jesus is inviting you to. And so there's an invitation to let go, to journey through, to disciple. And that will cost you. But people are often turned off by that cost. We go, oh my word, I will lose this. I will lose my friends. I will lose this relationship. I will lose this job. This is too costly. People are often turned off by that cost. But that is just half of the story. The cost of non-discipleship is even higher. Because people have lost the intimacy, have lost intimacy which we all desperately need in exchange for sex. People have lost the trust of their family in exchange for an affair. People have lost true freedom in exchange to being slaves to our appetites, anything goes. People have lost their souls for the fleeting world. The, the, the cost of non-discipleship is way higher than the cost of discipleship. What does it gain a person to, what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and lose his soul? The alternative cost is losing our very own lives. If you hear the invitation Jesus is making, you're realizing your hunger and your thirst for the kingdom. You're realizing that God is better at life than you. And so there's an invitation for you to then respond. For you to then respond because there's a better outcome. One way of looking at Jesus dying on the cross is that he died in our place. That is very correct. But we often miss the multifaceted picture of the cross. So Paul, in one of his letters, 
writes that he is crucified with Jesus. Like, what? I thought Jesus was crucified in my place. And then Paul says, hey, I am crucified in Jesus. One way to look at it is, of course, we are on the cross with Jesus. And the other way to look at it, because Jesus kept inviting, take up your cross and follow me, is that Jesus, Jesus went to the cross to show us how to go to the cross and come out on the other side alive. It, he didn't go to the cross so that you wouldn't take up your cross. He didn't go to the cross so that you wouldn't be hung on a cross. He went to the cross so that you would see that taking up your cross, there's resurrection on the other end. The cross is not the end of the story. People are turned off by the cost of the cross, but the cross is not the end of the story. The shedding of our wineskin is not the end of the story. Jesus was on the cross because of love. The other way uh, that it's been said is that for the joy that was set before him, he was looking at what was coming to him. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's why we he went on to crucifixion. And so that's the invitation. Can we take up the cross looking uh, beyond the cross to resurrection and the joy set before us? I'll invite the band back on stage. Oh, wow. Uh, that's way too long. So, Paul wrote, Today when you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. You see, often it's not that we don't hear God's voice, it's that we just don't like what he's saying to us. We hear God's voice, we just don't like what he's saying. So today when you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. Would you yield to the greatest invitation? So what does it look like? Every morning you can sit down and visualize what, what yielding to the cross looks like for that day. Don't, don't do three months at a time. Just start a day at a time. What does it look like to yield to the cross today? Don't do a whole week. Just start, what does it look like to yield to the cross today? And see yourself bringing that old wineskin that can no longer contain what God is inviting you to and putting it at the cross. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. I want you to go further ahead and visualize the life that Jesus is inviting you to. What does it look like if you just drunk a little less today? Big cost. But what is on the other end of that freedom? So I want you to not only visualize the cross, but visualize the, the joy that is set before you.